You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Awesome. Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 2. We're in this series on fasting. And while you're opening your Bibles, I almost forgot I got two announcements. One of them deals with this. This Tuesday and Thursday, and the next three weeks, on Tuesday and Thursday, we're going to have the sanctuary open from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. At any time, you can come down to the church. The doors will be open. There'll be coffee on there as well. Come in here. Worship music will be playing. We'll have uh, what to be praying for, the focus of that week up on the screen. And you can just find any spot in this room and spend time with the Lord. Journal, pray, read the word, uh, cry out to him. Those are also going to be the two days as pastors and staff we're looking at fasting and we're going to be focusing on fasting. Uh, You can choose different days during the week. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, but those are the days that we'll be doing that. So Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., this room will be open. Feel free to come in and worship anytime. Uh, also, we've got our Freedom in Christ ministry, which is kicking off in January. There's a lot more to come in that, but this is an exciting event that has over a year of planning and the work and men and women who have been praying and going before the Lord and uh, seeking him to help you, us, in gaining freedom in Christ, and that kicks off January 28th, and next week you'll hear from Ryan Kurtz on that. If this is uh, if you're newer to LifePoint and you haven't attended a starting point, that's our chance of, after third service to get to know us, pastors, staff, and as a church, what we're about. If you haven't attended one, next week, January 17th, after third service, we're going to be doing a first starting point of 2021. We invite you to come with us and be a part of that. Sound good? Capiche? Muy bueno? Thank you. Okay, Mark 2. We are talking about fasting, and this year is going to be different than we have ever done in the past, so I hope you are ready to be hungry. Um, we are, the, the, instead of fast, pray, whatever, it's disciples fast and pray. And we want to be a church of disciples, right? Come on. Did, yes. If you're in the chat, would you just out-shout the current crowd that's here right now? We want to be disciples, right? Yes. That sounds better. That's more like a warrior. We want to be disciples. We want to be men and women who have counted the cost, right? We want to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. What's it? What's it about? 1999 now with shipping and handling to follow Jesus? So count the cost. Know what it costs. It's a lot more than that, let me tell you. And so what's it mean to fast and pray? Disciples, they fast and they pray. And so one of the things we're looking at here is not about a 21-day fast from here, the 10th to the 31st, which we've done in the past, where you fast from social media, you fast from sugar, you fast from eating out, junk food, your phone, right? You fast from your phone. We have done those in the past, and, and what I really felt like God impressed on me and the other pastors was that we would look at fasting biblically and do that kind of a fast, and do a fast from food. And I'm gonna talk this morning why why it's so important that we do this. And I realize that there are dietary restrictions and there are uh, some of us who have to eat, right? Um, Has anybody here ever fasted before? Right? By the night, end of the day, your head hurts. You have like a brain fog. You just can't focus, right? If you're like me, your stomach hurts, both of them. Um, It looks like I have two. It's just one, though. 
just one stomach. You're just in pain. You're uncomfortable. It stinks, right? And supposedly, from what I hear, it's because of our intake of sugar and salt, which is why it hits us so badly as Americans. But you are. And so it's tough to even focus on the things of God because your body's in so much pain. And so often we will take a different form of a fast or we will look at the fasting season, and I have been guilty of this, and we will say, this is a good time to start my diet. I am going to cut out all junk food. I'll do the Daniel fast. What do he eat? Carrots? Okay, I'll eat carrots for 21 days. And the truth is, it's really less about knowing the Lord, becoming hungry for God and passionate for him, as much as it is, I'm going to lose about 10 pounds in the next 21 days, and I'm doing it for Jesus. No, you're not. You're a liar. You're doing it for yourself, and you're hoping Jesus gets in there somewhere. So I want to remove that temptation and just say we are going to do fasting. We're going to have days of fasting. You can choose to do one or two or three or whatever God leads you to. But we fast as believers, as disciples, not because we're commanded to. We fast because fasting is what draws us to the Lord. It's what brings us before him with a hunger. Anybody feel you've ever lost passion for something? Anybody feel that you've ever had something that you were driven to find and driven to do and it's just not there anymore? You've lost passion, but you need to become hungry again. You know, most of us actually show up to church full. Did you know that? You may not have noticed it this morning, but we show up to church full, and I don't mean full physically, but I mean we're full of the craziness that happened in the world this week, what we've watched on TV, what's gone on in our family, what's gone on with our own health, our fear of bills, and what's going on um, in our community, and, and we're just, there's so much there, and then on top of that, we shoved in whatever movies came out and TV shows we're watching, and then whatever things we're addicted to or struggling with as far as sin, and when you get here, it is like Thanksgiving, open up the button, full. And then some of you, okay, some of you are like, no, not me, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person. Yeah, some of you are so full of doing good works and things for the Lord that all week you are wiped out. You get here Sunday and you're like, Pastor, five days this week I was out ministering and witnessing to people. Grace be to God. Grace be to God. And you are full Sunday morning. You can't even worship God because you are so full. Tell me, isn't it true that, have you ever had this happen? This happens to me. You eat this huge dinner at home, 23 course meal, right? And you eat this large meal that has been prepared for you and you were going over to somebody's house. Now, you thought that it was understood that dinner would have already been eaten by both parties. And you show up at their house, and what do they have? Just this wonderful spread of food. And what, what kind of response do you just sort of initially have when you walk in? Ugh. You're like, no. Now, this is delicious food, and this is food that just a few hours earlier, had you not been stuffed, you would have walked in and went, oh, my gosh, that smells so good. But now the same exact food that would have provided nutrition for your body, if you begin to eat, may actually cause you to throw up. The smell of it causes you to be nauseous because you're full. You're already full. You can't eat anymore. You can't take any more in. I hope you're catching what I'm saying here. Because when we come before the Lord in fasting, and the reason we see so many examples of it throughout the New Testament of Jesus' disciples is that we would lessen the amount of things that are going into our spirit 
And we start with the stomach, the body, so that we can come before the Lord and not be full. That we can come before him and be passionate. We can be driven. It's possible to be full on the things of the world, and it's possible to be full on things of God. Good things, works and programs and Bible studies. But Jesus says, I don't care if you're doing all of that if you don't love me, if you're not passionate for me, if you're not hungering after me, you could do a dozen Bible studies a week. But I don't want it. I don't want any of it. Mark 2, we're going to start in verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. So Levi got up and he followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who had followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Disciples. Disciple is not a righteous man or woman. A disciple is a sinner who has laid their life down before God, who has exchanged their rags, their filth for the riches in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't make me a righteous individual now. I have Christ's righteousness imputed to me. And the problem with many Christians, modern-day Christians, is we become what's called self-righteous, don't we? We begin to look around at others who haven't found Jesus and who continue to squalor in their filth. And we go, hmm, I used to be like you. I pity you. Oh, that's disgusting, isn't it? Did anybody ever feel that from a religious person before they came to Christ, that sort of smug, look at what you're doing? Has anybody ever felt that? Did that make you want to know this Jesus? Did that make you be like, oh, I want to be like you, smug, arrogant, there's a stick somewhere that I can't say from the stage, and at the end of the day, I just, you seem like you're just so full of joy. No, not even a little bit. And so we don't want to be self-righteous. And what Jesus says is, I didn't come for you. You have already found your righteousness, Pharisees. You have lost all humility. You have lost all passion. You have lost all love. You are so full of yourself and your self-righteousness that there is no room for the truth. And I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. To ever become so full of a position of, uh, of a religion that there's no room for Christ. And so a disciple is not a righteous person as much as they are a sinner who has been saved. Verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So people came in and they asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees, well, they're all fasting, but yours are not. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, my disciples will fast. So, 
Once again, what Jesus is doing here is not answering the question, which is shrouded in what they actually mean, because the the Pharisees had created extra fasting days, right? They added extra days, and so Tuesdays and Thursdays were now fasting days as well. And then I have said this before from the stage in past Januaries, but the list was enormous on what you weren't allowed to do on a fasting day. So many things. You, could, you couldn't carry a coat. You couldn't take more than a certain amount of steps. There's all this stuff, right? And they created all these rules. And what they're really upset with is that Jesus' followers, his disciples, his sinners, aren't observing the rules. And Jesus says, well, right now, there's a wedding feast going on. The bridegroom is with them. It's, it's a time of celebration. There will be a time when my disciples will fast but they will fast for the right reasons, not because of a man-made law. Remember, Jesus says, you are treating as doctrine laws of men. You are treating as doctrine, as truth, laws that have been made up by men. Friends, there is no quicker way for a church to die or for passion for Jesus Christ in your heart to die than to begin to follow the laws and the rules of men. I think I've said this before, but have you ever actually looked at the rules of baseball? Have you? This is fantastic. Let's see if I have this in my notes here. Oh, yeah, here we go. Baseball is the most popular American sports amongst boys, and, and my son even, who is, you know, it's kind of ADHD, he's just constantly going, right? Can't sit down, gets up constantly. Teacher has to allow him time to get up and talk and then sit back down. And yet he plays baseball. He likes to play baseball. Well, if you ever look at the rules of baseball, if you don't hit the ball, you are out. That is, unless you get four pad pitches before you get three good ones. And you need to run really fast if you hit the ball, unless you hit the ball on the wrong side of the white line. Or unless you hit it in the air and they catch it, then you don't have to run fast. But they have to catch it before it hits the ground. You can run past first base and home plate, but you can't run past second or third. You have to stay on the bag. If you've got the ball, you need to stop on the base to get someone out. Of course, unless it's a force out, then you have to tag them. Do any of you follow any of that? Now imagine if we tried to teach kids how to play baseball by getting them to study this list of rules. And this is just a fraction of the rules. And we said, know all the rules. Then you'll love the game, I promise. Is that how we teach kids? No, we go out and we start throwing a ball around with them. We pull out a bat and let him hit the ball and let him run the wrong way around the bases. Anybody been to a paladin game? It's the best thing ever. They're going to go wherever they go because they're just passionate about the game. They're passionate about spending time with their parents or their friends. And the rules, those, those just help make the game fun as they learn more about the game. It helps give the game order and, and it makes it fun for everyone to play. But when they're young, it's not about the rules, is it? It's just about the love of the game. For so many Christians, and we're a church where we have a lot of people who have been believers for a while, we have forgotten the love of the game and Christ and fasting and prayer have just become a bunch of rules. And we sort of treat them like we would a game of baseball where all we care about is the rules. And this is what I want to challenge us in in this season. This is why I want to challenge us all to take days out of your week and fast from food. Now, if you do have a, a medical reason you can't go that long, then I want you to eat 
or even better, just drink a food that is disgusting. It cannot taste good. I don't want you to even kind of like it. I want it to be like one of those protein drinks where it tastes like you're taking the chalk that they ground up and mixed it with mud, and they called it chocolate. Drink one of those. It has all the proteins and nutrients you need, but I want you to derive no pleasure from drinking it. Why? Because when we fast, we want to be satisfied by the Lord. We do. And as Americans, we have everything given to us. Even on a fasting day, you know that when the 24 hours are up, you've got a fridge full of food and a grocery store even with more food. You don't wonder if you're going to eat when the fast is over with. You don't wonder if you'll have strength. You, don't, it's, you, you know it's there, and yet we still, we still don't even do that. So I want to challenge us to do that. That's why I'm, I'm not doing the other fast, the abstaining from things. And I know that for some of us, you're saying, it would be harder for me not to be on F- Facebook for the next three weeks than to eat food. Cool. You, you do whatever you want there, but fast as well. Take time away from food as well. I want you to hunger for the Lord. I want you to remember that passion when you first came to him. When you were walking through this world hopeless, when you were trying to find everything the world had to offer to fill a void in your life, to fill something that you thought could never be filled, and every time you tried, you fell on your face. You're hoping it was relationships. You're hoping it was uh, success. You were hoping it was a career. You were hoping it was education, knowledge. And every time we achieve a goal, there's always just another goal waiting to be achieved, and so it's not enough. And then you found Christ. And there's that moment when you give your life to him, when you lay it down, when you actually humble yourself and say, okay, Lord, take my life. And all of a sudden, you come alive. You come alive, maybe for the first time ever, you open your eyes and there's just this joy and hope that doesn't seem real, but it's there. And you begin to read the word of God and something that was just a bunch of words and boring is alive to you. And you can't get enough of it. And you wake up early and go to bed late reading it. Does anyone remember this? You remember those times? When we fast, it allows us to get back to that because we don't show up full. How many of us came to church this morning hungry? How many of us came to church full? Right? How many of you are desiring God more than you're desiring me stopping this sermon so you can go eat lunch right now? This is what I want for us. If we're to be disciples, if we're to be disciples in 2021, we must fast and pray. It's funny, I had someone tell me after first service, it was great, uh, they said, you know, you said a few weeks ago that all we have to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That God isn't concerned about sacrifices, right? He's concerned more about your heart obedience. I said, yep. And he said, well, then today you said we have to fast and, and sacrifice food and all of that. So how do I juxtapose those two together? I said, that's a great question. Here's what it is. In... If I were to tell you how to get to Pine Top, and I just said, oh, just go northeast. Go ahead, go northeast, you'll get there. Would you really know how to get to Pine Top? I mean, if you didn't know the roads, if you didn't even know which way was northeast, if you didn't understand how to tell, no. Now, if I said, to get there, here's the roads you take, and this is the direction, and this is what you do, and these are the landmarks you'll see, 
Well, now you know how to get to the goal. So if I say fast, or if I say, you know what, in 2021, if we're going to be a church that changes our community and changes the world, then we're going to have to be passionate for Jesus. Now go out and do it. And I just walk off the stage. That's like telling you to go northeast to get to Pine Top. But if I say, let me show you how to get there. Here's some directions. Here's some proven directions that, God, that Christ's disciples did, that Christ himself did. This will get us to that place where we'll be more passionate about God than we are the food we eat. So don't think of it as another sacrifice. It's not another rule. And by all means, if you don't want to do it, no one's making you do it. That's the beauty of Christ. He won't make you do anything. He will call you. He will draw you. He will ask you. He will lead you. He won't make you. Because he desires real relationship. He desires your heart. Finish up Mark here. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Do we understand this analogy? We don't really have wineskins anymore. I went to Total Wine and More over the holidays to see. It's all in glass bottles. I didn't buy anything, of course, because that would be evil, but I was there for research purposes, and there were no wineskins. It was glass bottles with corks. But in this time, in the time that this is written, this is how they kept wine, and they would put the wine in the wineskins, and it would ferment inside the wineskins. It would get tastier, so to speak, inside the, it'd go from Welch's grape juice to a nice Merlot, inside the wineskin. And so if you took an old wineskin and needed to patch it, you would use a new fresh leather patch on it. And then what would happen is you'd pour that new wineskin in there and that old leather, that leather that's been left in the Arizona sun for a year or this summer of week, um, is brittle and dry. And as that begins to ferment, it begins to expand, and it cracks, and it explodes, and now you've lost everything. Same thing with a piece of cloth that is not pre-shrunk, right? You put a piece of cloth that's not pre-shrunk, you then wash it, it shrinks, it pulls away from the thing that you have tried to repair. This is the analogy. So how does this analogy apply to what he's talking about with fasting and being a disciple? Is he's talking here, and this is so awesome, to people like you. This is people who uh, are uh, with it enough that you came to church this morning. For whatever reason, you got up, you put on some semi-decent clothes, and you came here this morning. You don't know why. Maybe you did know why. You want to worship the Lord. But he's talking to you. He's saying, have you in your faith become so rigid that you cannot let the Lord do a new thing in your life? Have you become so rigid that even in a season of fasting, where you come before God and you say, Lord, I desire to be passionately involved in love with you, to know where you're going in our country, to know where you're going in our community and my marriage and my kids and my life, and I don't have it right now, so I want to fast with this desire in mind. God is saying, if you don't first say, Lord, humble me. I have followed you for 30 years, 20 years, 5 years, 10 years, but I still need to be humbled before you. 
Because if you want to do a new thing in my life right now, I do not want to explode. (laughs) Because it doesn't fit inside my paradigm of what I think you should do. You hear me? This is for every single one of us. Because we all do this every single week. We believe what we think God should do and how he works and how he moves in people's lives. And if you wish to seek the heart of God, you're going to need to make sure that you have a spirit that can handle it. And so you're going to need to lay that before him before you lay anything else before him. God, I need a new wineskin for whatever you're going to do in 2021. I need my spirit to be softened. I've become rigid in certain things. I don't even know why. I just, my parents did it and their grandparents did it. And I've always gone to a church like this. And this is how it's always been done. And no one can worship you except like this. Lord, let me see people as you see them. Let me care for the broken as you care for the broken. I lay down any self-righteousness that has crept into my life that allows me to look at people as if I am better than them. Help me to love them in their brokenness. You see, I had this message prepared up until that point last Sunday. And then it looked like there might be COVID in our house. And even though I didn't really have, I didn't feel bad, it was best that I would stay away just until we found out for sure. And so that's pretty much what I had. And then I'm so grateful that God in his sovereignty did not let me speak that without speaking what I'm about to say what he gave me this week as I sought him, uh, knowing that this is what I was going to preach, but saying, Lord, is there anything else? And this is the other thing that I'm going to end the service on this morning. What does it mean to, to, to truly say, Lord, give me a new wineskin of a spirit? As an American, for each and every single one of us, as I ask the Lord that, what does it mean for the church? What can I give to the church, Lord? It is to change our rigidity and our mindset on what it means to love the poor. I'll say that again. Our wineskin, your wineskin for 2021 is to loosen, soften your spirit on what it means for you, not the church, not your neighbor, for you to love the poor. The poor in spirit, and the poor in wealth. The Sermon on the Mount. The only long, uninterrupted sermon we have of Jesus Christ. He opens it with the words, blessed are who? The poor in spirit. You see, we compare ourselves as a people to each other not realizing that we represent as a nation one to three percent of the seven billion people as far as wealth, maybe even just one percent. That the rest of the world lives on an average of less than $20, like 25% of the world lives on less than $20 a day, 75% live on less than $10 a day. It's an absolutely insane number. And so even our poorest of the poor, even our homeless here, in America, in Arizona, are more wealthy than the rest of the world. You could stand on a street corner and in one day 
make what somebody would make in another country in a year. So here's the thing. The church for a long time has very stiff, very rigid, almost hate-filled positions on a couple of things. Well, not just a couple, but... Like when we look at homosexuality, we think it's disgusting and the person's disgusting and it's hard for us to even think about it. It's hard. How do we love them? It's wrong. It's not right. But yet, we're 100% fine with any other type of sexual promiscuity between a man and a woman. Well, I know it's wrong, but they're kids. You've got to forgive them. And what, what's happened is we've stopped loving the people. We've stopped reaching the people because we've become so disgusted by this sin that we have chosen to be disgusted by the other thing, and, and I want you to hear me on this because I've been guilty of this, is when it comes to abortion. We look at people who have done it or who would do it and we think how, how wrong, how disgusting, how could you, what have you done? And there's such a wicked judgment that comes from self-righteous Christians. And yet, what do we do to those who are currently poor and currently struggling. How much of your money, how much of your time do you give to the poor and the needy currently right now in your community? But we want to judge the person. Something like 90% of all abortions in America happen uh, from women who are under the poverty line. This is super convicting, isn't it? That's dead quiet in here. I know. It's okay. It convicted the heck out of me this week. And so we've got to change. What's it mean to be poor in spirit, God? You tell us to take care of the poor. You say the poor will always be with you. James says, what is your faith if there are no works attached? Take care of the orphan and the widow. And I want to put this before you, that if you didn't spend another single minute of your life doing any type of moral thing, not one, you stopped caring about sexual morality. You stopped caring about whether stealing was right or wrong, whatever. You, you stopped letting that be the focus, but you spend every waking minute loving your neighbor and, and you served and you gave of your time and your money to the poor, to love the poor in the name of Jesus. I think he'd be a lot happier than if you spent the rest of your life being morally good. I don't think I know he would. But we as a church have the opposite mindset, don't we? We've preached it for such a long time. I know, I've been in the church since I can remember. It's better to be good. And yes, we'll go do a mission trip in, in two weeks this year. You can go help the poor and whatever. But the rest of the 50 weeks of the year, you need to be good. Remember, if you listen to rock and roll, you're going to hell. If, you're, if you hold hands, that leads to sex. And sex leads to dancing. And we don't dance in the church. Going to hell. <laughs> Had to break the tension. It was getting thick. <laughs> it's a lie. And I just want to expose it. At the beginning of this year, expose it. Because we get trapped in it. And after you leave this room, some of these words are going to fall flat. But the fact of the matter is, some of you in here are going to receive this and hang on to it. And you're going to say, yeah, I want to be passionate for God. I want to be passionate for the things that he was passionate for. Did Christianity start at the top and work its way down to the bottom? Does anyone know? Did it start at the bottom? Yeah, and it worked its way up, didn't it? This idea of you have to dress a certain way in church, that comes from a wealthy nation that would say that. 
a poor nation would say, just hope you're wearing clothes or a bag or something when you come to church. This whole thing that says you can't play certain instruments from the stage, that's a wealthy nation that would say that. In some countries, they literally, I've been there, bang sticks and rocks together to create a beat to worship the Lord. What are we doing? Can we change this? You see, what Heather said was right. I don't care who's president. I don't care who controls Congress or the Senate. If God's people are stuck in a religious spirit, we will continue to go down. But friends, if we break out of that, if we break out of that rigidity and we fast over the next three weeks, we pick these days and we say, God, give us new souls. Give me a spirit that is softened before you to see the hurt and the need that is around me, to stop focusing on myself and my own morality and petty needs and to love those around me, God is going to open a whole world that you cannot believe exists right here in your backyard. And it's going to change. It's going to change. Let's pray. Father, oh Lord, help us. Apart from you, this is just talk. These are just words. So we need you. I need you. You know the guilt that I have carried on this how I've contributed to it. Forgive me, Lord. Lord, may may we make the poor in spirit. May we make the poor in finances. The poor in education, Lord, our priority. Help us lay down. Help us lay down these lies that you'd rather us be this morally pure people, Lord. We've become the Pharisees. We are Pharisees, Lord. Break it in us. Break the spirit, God. If you believe in this, just pray it with me. Break the spirit of a Pharisee in me, God. One that judges and one that hates and one that puts people in categories that I believe they should be in. Break it in me, God. Give me a heart for them to love them, to meet their needs, to let them know you love them, Lord, but not just by my words, but through my actions. God, help us change as a church, Lord. I'd love to see the church in America change, but you haven't given me that. You've given me this. So we, we pray, God, help us this week and the coming weeks to have your heart May stories start to come from all over the place of people who are being awoken to what it's like to be hungry, maybe for the first time, and to be filled with your spirit. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. At this time, we're going to come before the Lord and observe the Supper of the Lamb together. In a moment, we're going to have a time of prayer and we're just going to close out with worship. And I just want to say our prayer partners will be up here and man, you, you want to pray, you want to say, yeah, that's been me. You want to come forward and receive prayer because there's sickness or just come forward and pray. Disciples, we fast and we pray. As Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, he gave us this sacrament that we would not forget that it was his body that replaced the veil between the Holy of Holies, that where the Ark of the Covenant, where the Spirit of God Almighty dwelt. It was his body. And because of his body and his sacrifice, we now have access 
to God. And so he took bread as he was with his disciples, as he was wanting them to understand what was about to unfold, and he, he broke it. And it says in the scriptures, he held it and he told them, this is my body, it's given for you. And then he blessed it. So Lord, we bless this now as we remember your body, that you came and entered into our, our world, your creation so that you could buy us back. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, bless this. Let's partake together. He then took the cup and said, you will live under a new covenant. It'll be the covenant of my blood. I will have fulfilled the old covenant with my death on the cross and my blood that is spilt and you will live under this new covenant. It'll be the covenant that I talked about, the one where the greatest law will be to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind and to love the neighbor as yourself. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blood of your son, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that upon him was my sin. And I thank you, Lord, for a gift that costs so much but is so freely given. Help me show others who you are, Lord. Let's partake together.